James Bible Study, Part 3 Riches and Steadfastness, or The Trial Thesis, Part 2 For lay leaders and deacons to conduct after the Sunday service or during a midweek Bible study session. Hear the word of our Lord from the Epistle of St. James, the first chapter beginning in the ninth verse. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. St. James has introduced the trial thesis, as we have called it. In short, the testing of our faith through difficult circumstances produces a greater steadfastness in the faith, resulting in a stronger and more faithful Christian. In order to undergo trials, we must therefore appeal to God for wisdom, both practical and moral wisdom, making right decisions and obeying God's commandments come from God. Yet this appeal must be made in faith, lest the man making the request be a victim of outside circumstances like doubt. In our passage today, the author develops more of the trial thesis. He has demonstrated the opposing values between the Christian and the world. The Christian rejoices in trial and laments his sin, while the world rejoices in sin and laments trial. To expand on this further, today's passage presents two more distinctions which run counter to sinful instincts. Verses 9 through 11, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. The rich have always had a habit of showing their wealth, whether through gaudy clothing or expensive possessions or holding extravagant events, and so forth. The world values this, praising the rich and berating the poor. To the Christian, however, the poor has distinct advantages which the rich man does not, thus deserving a certain admiration from St. James. The Psalms are replete with praise for God's special care and compassion for the poor. Psalm 9, verse 18, 35, verse 10, 40, verse 17, 72, verse 12, and so on. 
The poor man is delivered, exalted, and subject to God's provisions in a way that shows direct favor. Because he is already humbled, he is raised up by our Lord. The impoverished brother relies on God more by faith, leading to greater sanctification. The rich, on the other hand, is instructed to boast in his humiliation. This is not to imply that it is humiliating to be wealthy. Instead, the rich man is exhorted to be humble here and to find in that his proper outlook. Later on, St. James will zero in on the contrast between humility and exaltation as a matter of sequence. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. James 4 verse 10. If the rich man wishes to have what the poor man already has, that is, God's favor, then he does well to be lowly. The 10th and 11th verses discuss both plain reality as well as identity. Even if the rich man is a believer, his riches do not go with him into heaven. One day, no matter how much money he made or possessions he had, these will go into the possession of someone else, or be destroyed. His identification with wealth is like a flower, dead and forgotten when his time comes. However, it is identification with wealth and the pursuit of it especially which leads to dying and being forgotten. Humble rich men are more often remembered fondly even as heroes or saints when we consider Abraham or David. Both were fantastically wealthy beyond what most of us could even dream to have, yet their humility and dependence on God delivered them from the obscurity and frivolity which mark the rich of the world. In other words, St. James warns the wealthy to be humble and not to set their hearts on riches. His similitude between the wealthy and the flower of the field is reminiscent of King Solomon's meditations on the vanity of greed from Ecclesiastes 4 verses 7 through 8. Again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Greed, or the pursuit of wealth for its own sake, is pointless as it does not produce happiness nor eternal life. Those men who are well off but godly, like the patriarchs or the righteous among the kings of Judah, found their joy in faith rather than in possessions. Verse 12 states, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Now, steadfastness is hardly something to boast about by itself. A steadfast man is steadfast in something. In the context of James 1, that something is faith. James 1 verse 3 identifies the saying, The testing of your faith 
produces steadfastness. Having stood under trial with one's saving faith intact, the believer receives eternal life in Christ our Lord. This is a promise from God which is reserved for those who love him, as St. James says. This is approximated from a number of places in Scripture. Daniel chapter 12 verses 12 and 13 makes mention of a blessing for those who persist past the symbolic 1335 days, that they may stand in their allotted place. And more than once our Lord Jesus says that the one who endures to the end will be saved, Matthew 10 verse 22 and 24 verse 13. Someone might opine that God is promising eternal life based on agape, and indeed this is the case. However, it does not entail from here, as our Roman Catholic friends may claim, that one is saved by loving God. One does not love God without first believing in him, and agape being an orientation toward loving action is only something that flows from the believer's awareness of God and faith in the gospel. Hebrews 11 verse 6. St. James is no fool. He does not claim that our salvation rests in our own hands with the crown of life being bestowed on account of one's love for the Lord. If he were, he would be undoing the atonement entirely. In truth, one loves God for the same reason he receives the crown of life, because of the faith which God has granted and strengthens through word, sacrament, and testing. Verses 13 through 15 say, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. God does not tempt anyone to sin. However, God does test the believer. Though St. James uses the same root word for tempting as trial between the 12th and 13th verse, context shows that he is speaking of two different kinds of testing. First is trial. From verses 2 through 12, the trials that the believer faces are indeed at least ultimately from our Lord, and the intention is good. Just as God tested Abraham with the binding of Isaac, chastisement and testing from God results in greater sanctification and opportunities for heavenly rewards. The author of Hebrews goes into this kind of ordeal in more detail in Hebrews chapter 12. And then there is temptation. From verses 13 through 15, St. James is speaking on this occasion of temptation to sin. Rather than God's testing, which seeks to establish one's character and improve it, the wicked sort of testing, which God never engages in, is enticement, or an attempt to get someone to sin. Enticement does not come from the devil. Though the devil and his demons do tempt people, that is not the source of it. To our shame, 
temptation finds its source in human desire, the sinful and rebellious part of us which wishes to tear ourselves away from Christ. This is, of course, a foolish thing that our old Adam or sin nature wishes to do, as doing so kills us. St. James points out that our desire to sin leads to sin, which leads to death. In contrast to the life which comes from steadfastness in the faith and earnestly seeking wisdom from God, the ultimate goal of a corrupt human nature is suicide. Certain church fathers, namely Athanasius in On the Incarnation, describe sin as an undoing of God's creation. St. James supports this characterization on account of the inevitable death which sin procures in the sinner. In an overwhelmingly positive sense, then, the epistle of James teaches Christians how to wage war on death, namely with the art of steadfastness. Jeremiah asks in Jeremiah 17 verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? St. James replies in James 1, 4, and 5, Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him.